You're listening to another episode of Heatwave Radio's Classic Movies Live. Uh, on today's show, we're talking about a movie that uh, for us just came out. For you guys, it would have been a little bit ago. This is a movie from 2020. I guess that makes sense. Uh, this is The Trial of the Chicago 7. It is a legal drama by Aaron Sorkin. So I don't know if it was on your radar, but it should have been. It was on both of our radars. Um, yeah, we've got a lot to say about this movie. I think we go for almost... I think we go for like 45 minutes without spoilers. So there's a spoil there's a spoiler warning when we get into spoilers, but you can listen to most of this episode um pretty spoiler free. So tune in and uh, I hope we can sell you on this movie or if you've already seen it, I hope that you mostly agree with us. If you don't, I guess send all formal complaints to our email address which I have not given you. This is a song from The Trial of the Chicago 7. Uh, it's a song by Daniel Pemberton. And it probably sounds a lot like uh, legal drama songs from the 90s. Here it is. listening to another episode of Heatwave Radio's Classic Movies Live, the pre-recorded show where we talk about movies from 2020. Um, Pierre, actually, come to think of it, do you think that there's enough movies that came out in 2020 that I can just keep saying that? Like, if we're still recording in 2022, do you think we could still just be talking about movies that came out in 2020? Uh, probably. I mean, like, how many movies come out a year? Like, I want to say, like, 200, maybe, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I think that, like... If we were to do that, if that became the concept for this show, uh, then like we would probably have to start digging pretty deep right around the end of the year or, you know, um, maybe maybe by about the middle of next year, because there's always a bunch of movies that technically came out in festivals now, but don't actually release in ways we can see them until like next summer. But like we'd we'd hit like we'd start to hit Bollywood probably about next summer. And then we'd start to hit like indie bollywood by about next december i think yeah maybe which which isn't uh a great <laughs> it's not something i hope to happen no to not 100 percent convinced that we're gonna change our entire concept to be just movies in 2020 yet but i do like to talk about current movies and uh today's movie is a movie that basically just came out um i think as of the time of recording this it came out a week ago we're going to talk about Aaron Sorkin's second directorial uh, directed his second movie that he directed, uh, The Trial of the Chicago Seven. Um, yeah, this literally just came out to Netflix. I think I watched it. I think the day it came out, and then reviewed it the same day. And uh, you guys can see that review on the website for the Kelowna Daily Courier. Just thought I would plug myself there real quick. Very impressive. Thank you. So. Pierre, how do we want to talk about this movie? You want to... So, like, for obvious reasons, I think we were both at least a little bit excited for it. If not if not excited, it was definitely on our radar because of Aaron Sorkin. And um, do you want to say a little bit about Aaron Sorkin? Just sort of get us some context sure. here. Uh, well, I guess my first, my first uh, exposure to Aaron Sorkin was The Social Network um, in 2010, which I will say is probably one of the... One of the best movies like I've ever seen um, in, in terms of enjoyment, but also like just pure, like cinematic excellence. So that, that, that's when I first started noticing him and he's done a lot of great uh, movies and shows. He, he was, I believe he had a show called the West wing, right? Yeah. Um, that was back in the nineties, I think. Yeah. In the nineties with Martin Sheen as, as one of the presidents, I can't remember which one. And then not a real one. Oh, <laughs> And then uh, he he followed it up with the newsroom, I think, in the 2000s, which was also yes. very acclaimed. And uh, that was like, I don't know if that was Jeff Daniels comeback, but like that's where I didn't I never saw. I've only ever seen clips of the newsroom, but that's where I like started taking Jeff Daniels seriously as an actor, which I should have been doing long before. But like I mostly knew him from Dumb and Dumber. And then yeah, the newsroom is where he 
I was is where I learned a new side of him. Yeah. Um. So, uh, since then though, I guess since the newsroom, I don't know when that ended. I think it was like 2013. I but think so. He has he's he's gained a lot of a lot of notoriety in terms of like he's one of the most acclaimed uh, screen screenwriters in the industry, if not the most. I think he he's probably the biggest screenwriter I know that um that doesn't direct until now, I guess. So because uh, he's done stuff like Moneyball, uh, the Steve Jobs movie, and Molly's Game uh, this decade. I might, I might say that I might say that like of screenwriters who don't direct or who didn't direct until recently, I'd put him up there with Charlie Kaufman. Although he's very different from Charlie Kaufman, but in terms of like sure. how well known he is, yeah, he he seems to Aaron Sorkin's very well known for his um, very quick witty machine gun dialogue i guess and uh it, and it kind of varies from movie to movie i think it was very very well known in his shows and wait uh, did you say machine gun dialogue for aaron sorkin machine okay maybe not machine gun but it's very if you if you've seen some of his stuff when when you when it's on full force like steve jobs for example is a very aaron sorkin-esque script because you have a lot of like it's like the, the dialogue is very quick and extremely smart, if that makes sense. So, which gives it a very unnatural feeling. Like, yeah, like I would say will be shooting out remarks, right? But they're they they're very well. It's like it's like they're 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 screaming poetry off the top of their heads, if that makes sense. Yeah, I would say um, this actually is kind of in the same vein. Just I don't know that I would describe it quite the same way. The thing that I know Aaron Sorkin for is like big big weighty monologues like he'll have his characters give really big political or politicized speeches that like get their entire mind across in like a paragraph mm -hmm. he has like these heroic speeches a lot of the time yeah he he's a <laughs> he's he has a a lot of love for the ultra dramatic mm -hmm. so um yeah but but despite despite that, like th those aren't necessarily bad things. They're just uh, things you can uh, kind of identify in his style. And this this is, I believe, his at least feature film di directorial debut, if I'm not mistaken. No, he did one oh, before this called Molly's Game, which I haven't seen, but I've heard it's very good. And it was a notable Oscar snub the year that it came out. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. And uh, what's this movie called? The Trial of the Chicago Seven. I think yeah, I might have said that, but just in case, now people know. Now we're all caught up on Aaron Sorkin. The Trial of the Chicago Seven. Uh, what do you think of this one, Pierre? I'm gonna make you talk a bit more. It's a, it's a really, it's a really solid movie. It it brings up, um, it it will obviously it talks about the Chicago Seven, who are like a famous slash maybe infamous group of people that were that were tried during the the Vietnam protests. Uh 1968 the... Democratic Convention is oh, is the specific there. protests. There was yeah. a riot that broke out there and the Chicago 7 are the eight defendants from that trial. Yeah, so it, it it's a basically a courtroom drama featuring a, an all-star cast and not necessarily my type of movie, but it, I I did like the it, it it felt like a unique story that that need, maybe or I, I feel like it needed to be told. I, I think I learned a lot from it. I don't know how much of it is real and not real, but I I think it's a good look at um, capturing, I guess, the sentiment of the time, which I think mm -hmm. is very it's very easy to forget how messed up messed up war was, I guess, back, I guess, what was that 50 years ago? 55 years yeah. ago and uh i think it this captured that that feeling very well of just fear of the government well and i think it was um it's particularly i think the point of why he made this movie when he did is that it's kind of i'm sure he feels this way at least uh it's very it's very relevant to our times because the trial of the chicago seven was a big free speech moment because they there was a protest that had broken out, and um, their defense was basically, we didn't start the riot that broke out from this protest. And in fact, 
to some degree, we did everything in our power to make it as peaceful as possible. Um, but then when they were tried, the, uh, the people, the prosecutors basically revealed that everyone in the, that, ev that half the people that they'd confided in were secret policemen. The judge was incredibly biased and basically the entire government mobilized to take down these, pe these peaceful protesters. At the very least, that's how this comes across in this movie. I have a feeling that that is true to some degree. So I, I can, I can probably, you could probably look it up and you will find that that is indeed relatively what happened. Mm. So that it is, it is nice to be made aware of that stuff. Yeah, the events are true. It's, it's some manner, like, I think the way in which it's directed uh, shows Aaron Sorkin's bias, which makes me think that a lot of it is potentially stretched. But like the actual stuff that happened all in this movie all did happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I guess I guess the main thing is just it, it was it was a solid movie. Like, I don't think it's not a very artsy movie. And I don't think that's like e even like Sorkin's uh, famous, like witty dialogue was relatively uh, lowered in this. It, it, everything felt pretty realistic. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it was uh, it was carried by like like a great cast. Um, it was like notably, I think Sasha Baron Cohen being I think he was the the lead actor technically, even though it's much more of an ensemble cast. He he really uh, brought a lot to this movie, and so did like not just him. You had a lot of amazing actors. Eddie Redmayne, um, crap, who else was there? There was Kate. Well, Eddie I. Redmayne. I... I mean, maybe we'll get to this, but I wouldn't count Eddie Redmayne among the amazing actors here. As an actor, he is amazing. I don't think this is a good oh, performance sorry. from him. Yeah, that's fair. Um, who else? Man, who am I missing, dude? There's seven of Let's them. See. I know at least there three was... of them were famous. Like famous so, um, well, you know what? Let me let me read down the I, list I here just a second. Uh, we had Sasha Baron Cohen. We had John Carroll Lynch, who I don't know the name, but he's a guy I've seen a lot. He was the bald, uh, the bald pacifist. Uh, David Dellinger was his character's name. There was Mark Rylance, who played their defense attorney. Um, I guess he was. Oh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah, Joseph Gordon-Levitt was in it, even though he didn't have much to do. Uh, the the seven, the Chicago Seven, were Eddie Redmayne. Alex Sharp, Sasha Baron Cohen, Jeremy Strong, John Carroll Lynch, Noah Robbins, and Daniel Flaherty. Of those, I think the biggest names are Eddie Redmayne and Sasha Baron Cohen by far, and then maybe yeah. John Carroll Lynch right after. Um, who is this guy? Oh yeah, I've seen him. In, he he's mostly in small supporting roles. From what yeah, I've seen. I say maybe him right after because I know his face. I've seen him in lots of things. But I did not really know his name. And after yeah. this movie, I still think it's fairly <laughs> unlikely that I'll know his name without looking it up. Yeah, I, I'd say that that's a big thing with the script is that these aren't these aren't characters so much as like documentations of people, if that makes sense. I like I, again, I don't know how accurate this is, but it, it, it felt written in a way that like everyone's very grounded, right? And relatively one-dimensional, almost like this was like a documentary, for example. I didn't I didn't see much depth to any of these characters, except for like I thought the there was a little conflict between Sasha Baron Cohen's character and Eddie Redmayne's character in terms of uh what how how the effects I guess their leadership has on the general movement against the government during this time right? that um their characters were basically for for all intents and purposes their characters tom hayden and abby hoffman were basically the leaders of what had been going of the of the they were the main leaders of the groups that had been that uh eventually did the pro did the riots so they got by pretty much they got by far the most to do and so I think they came across as the most, as the deepest characters of the whole bunch, even though everyone had, I guess, varying layers, but they had just a lot more time to develop. Well, that's the thing is like in a trial, especially when there's seven of our technically main characters are like 
don't have anything to do because they're just on trial, right? It's it's really hard for a, a real narrative to be brought up around them, mm -hmm. if any. They they really try, but I mean, like for a, for a movie called The Trial of the Chicago Seven, I I honestly couldn't tell you anything about at least five of four of these dudes, maybe even maybe five, because I don't remember much about. Uh, John Carroll Lynch's character, even though I like the actor. A lot about him. He left a real impression on me. Are you serious? Yes, I really, oh, really okay. liked John Carroll Lynch's character oh, a lot. Cool. Do, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, so, I mean, if I just talk about John Carroll Lynch's character here. So, David Dellinger, he was, um, what I really liked, what I really liked about him was that he got... He was sort of an example of a character getting exactly as much time for characterization as they needed, as far as I'm concerned, because his character, we're introduced to his character as um, just sort of like a suburban uh, husband, I guess. I don't know exactly what he does. He, he, it turns out that he is, uh, he, he's the leader of some organization, the National Mobilization Committee to End the War in Vietnam. Um, but aside from that I don't know what he does if anything but we're introduced to him as he's leaving his family to go and deal with these protests or to go be a part of these protests and um he happens he just ends up being around the rest of the seven pretty often uh during the protests and then obviously during the trial and he is the he's a very outspoken pacifist like he someone tells says about him like he won't hurt a fly and like it's literal he literally will not attack anything yeah and so he ends up and so like he ends up trying to be the mediator basically in every situation and um i guess this is kind of a spoiler but not really at one point during the trial he gets hassled so much to the point that he actually like punches a dude in the face and then <clears throat> that basically breaks his character at that point which I thought was, I thought that he had a really interesting arc because like you see this dude who's a pacifist get pushed to the brink of what that is and, and then basically just like fall apart for a minute afterwards. I don't know that he, there was that much outside of that that he had to do, but I thought that that arc was very effective to me. Well, I, I think it kind of really represented how frustrating the entire situation was and in particular um, like this is a story about an extremely unfair trial and that was i think that might have been the best illustration of how unfair it is like you have the judge constantly saying absurd nonsense to everybody and like almost seeming like he has dementia and just being an, a general asshole but like when they get the pacifist to punch a dude in the face and then just and then get escorted out of the courtroom like that shows you how uh, how how much the system is just completely against them yeah it was very eye-opening in terms of because like i think every other character had really gotten pissed off at certain times right but not like that yeah i think it's more and and because that in the same degree it's like with with david dellinger with john carroll lynch's character it's like his character is not completely one dimensional, but he's he's a pacifist. That is that is his defining character trait. With other yeah. people, like um, the other the other, their character traits, everyone else is at least even if they're not necessarily more complex than that, their character traits aren't like as easy to identify. So when you get the pacifist to punch a guy in the face, that sends a very clear message very easily. You can get Abby Hoffman, like Sasha Baron Cohen's character, to also illustrate that same point, but it's a lot harder and you have to work a lot more to get there. I like that. That was a, a relatively interesting arc. It doesn't really have a reflection or a, an effect on the movie as a whole, right? But Yeah, not it's, really. It's, it's still like an interesting... It gives the character something to do, I guess. Very, it's, I'd say it's very efficient uh, story storytelling. So, yeah, like stuff like that was nice. Um, I guess he was a relatively like memorable character. I, I'd say honestly, I mostly remember him because of because of the actor. This dude has played like creeps 
and psychos in so many movies that I've seen that like when I see that guy, I'm I'm always initially like like he's not good if that makes sense, right? What else so, was he in that you've seen? I mean, there's plenty, but I oh, have, like, the most the most recent one I can think of is Zodiac. I'm pretty sure it was implied he was like the Zodiac killer in Zodiac, even though they never technically find the killer. Right. Um, there's that. I think he was in Fight Club, right? No. Maybe. I think you might be thinking of uh, Meatloaf. Meatloaf. The singer Meatloaf. The guy who played Bob in Fight Club. Oh, the big guy. Okay, yeah. Um, um This guy has been in so much stuff I've seen that streaks. Well, Zodiac. So, like. Shutter Island. Crazy Stupid Love. He was he was kind of nice, but also kind of scary in that one, oddly enough. I so, specifically, the reason I brought that. Oh, apparently he's a bunch of bad people in American Horror Story all the time. Oh, there you go. I've never but, seen him in American Horror Story, but yeah. But specifically, the reason I brought that up is because um, the last thing that I remember seeing him in was The Founder, uh, where he plays Mac McDonald, the namesake of the McDonald's uh, of McDonald's. And like, he is the nice brother. He's the nicest dude. So that's why I was wondering, like, what have you seen him in that he's been a creep? I can believe it. Uh, I just didn't have I I just couldn't think of it. That's so weird. I feel like. I, I honestly feel like I've seen him in so many things that scared me, but I guess it's literally mostly just Zodiac. That's so funny. Um, either way, yeah, he he had a, a he had an arc, which was nice. Most of these guys didn't have arcs. Um, I don't think any. When I think about it, I don't think anyone really had an arc. Maybe I would say the other notable arc would probably be. I mean, maybe Mark Rylance's character as he so as he starts to come to terms with the fact that the judge is just being completely unfair and and eddie redmayne i think because he tom tom hayden he's the he plays like the de facto figurehead of these seven guys um he's the guy that wants to he believes in the system and he thinks and and he also like eventually has to come to the realization that the system is completely against him and doesn't care what he thinks, but like he's trying to cooperate with everyone to be, to like work within the system to get stuff done. He, uh, I think he literally tells Abby Hoffman at one point that like, um, God, what is it? He, He says like winning elections is more important than actually getting stuff done. So, uh, yeah. And that was like kind of a, I, I was kind of surprised. Like, I, I would have thought he would be used to that stuff, but I guess not at that point. Yeah. He was still kind of hoping for the best out of people. Um, yeah, no, yeah. I, I didn't mind his arc, or Eddie Redmayne's arc. Uh, the, the, the only notable other one was, like, maybe Joseph Gordon-Levitt. He, I guess I, I, I actually thought he was an interesting character in that he was the, the prosecution, but, and he was... He seemed like a character that, from the get go, he does. He has no sympathy for the defendants. He is just—it's nothing personal. He's just there to do his job, right? And we see some some internal conflict with him, but it doesn't actually really lead anywhere. Yeah, I would say that um, it did to me kind of seem like at the very from the beginning he realized that it seems to me like he realized that this case was being was unfair but yeah. also he was pretty impartial towards it he's like you know what i'm just gonna go in and win anyway because that's my job yeah yeah so i mean like that that i think that's an interesting look at the law it's kind of i think it's a little cliche but it's it's something and i i personally i really like joseph gordon levitt i haven't seen him in many roles lately i don't think he's as into acting as he used to be so you it was good to see him project back. power i did not i really don't want to it's okay you're not missing much yeah that's what i thought and though i thought joseph gordon levitt at least had more to do in that movie than in this one and and project wait project project power was a show no it's it's oh. one movie um oh. which is good because i don't think a show could i don't think that concept could carry a show very fair uh the uh, the one standout i really want to say is actually michael keaton he was in the movie for maybe like three minutes i want to say 
Four, probably four, but he blew me away. I loved, I think it was Michael Keaton, but I loved every little bit of his performance. And it might've been the writing and like the position his character played, but he he absolutely stole the screen in like literally every scene he was in, which was two scenes, but still, I oh, loved every second of it. Yeah, he just came in and he's like, all right, well, let me just blow everyone away real quick. Yeah, and I guess also technically he doesn't, actually like his his role in the movie doesn't end up affecting the plot that much but it was a pretty pivotal pivotal moment in terms of the hopes for the trial right so mm -hmm. like yeah I, I loved i loved him in this movie and yeah what'd you think of a of a aaron sorkin's like direction in general i thought it was pretty uninspired uh i thought that like i liked the way that he framed it uh, basically focusing on the trial and then going back to the events whenever he needed to. So I thought that was, I thought that was a smart way of doing the movie because it kept me interested in both the trial and also the stuff that had happened in, uh, in the backstory. But aside from that, I thought this movie was like visually fine. Um, as far as like, I, I, I thought that the events were put in a pleasing order and I thought the script was good. But other than that, I thought the movie was visually sort of not very interesting. Um, wasn't very interesting in a lot of ways. Like it was just another, it was another court drama and I've seen very good court dramas. And then I've seen like pretty okay court dramas. And I would put this one in that. Like, okay, yeah, yeah I, I think the acting saves this movie a lot because as far as directing goes, I thought that it was it was directed in such a way that I barely noticed Aaron Sorkin in it at all, which isn't really a good thing. It's more just like I, I didn't notice him for anything bad either. Yeah, I noticed his his direction seems like uh, it's probably I'm it's probably the a misconception just because I I think about Fincher when I see Sorkin, but it felt kind of Fincher esque, and that was like heavily steady cam from what i could tell and uh like the lighting cues and stuff like that felt pretty similar but it, yeah it just it didn't really feel like he was making it his own it was it was more he to be honest he he kind of directed it like he was a screenwriter if that makes yeah. sense like he he was just he was just directing it in a way that would allow the the script to really play its role Mm -hmm. and, do, and do its own work which i i think is a little it kind of takes away from the magic of movie making and that like like the the decisions a director makes kind of are what i guess are what elevates the script to like a movie if that makes sense because mm -hmm. i think there's like a difference or else like this could have just been a book right yeah if you're just gonna play it like that and so yeah it's a little disappointing and i didn't love the i was personally very confused by the flashbacks it i again god i gotta go back to the social network but the social network was also framed as a trial it's framed as two trials with flashbacks right and i i think it it was a much better it was much better done in that movie in terms of i always knew what the characters were doing what was happening in any scene right whereas this one i wasn't sure if some of the flashbacks happened before or after the incident and stuff, like, because I know they got sent to jail, right? But then there was, like, Eddie Redmayne's character got sent to jail once, and then there was a riot, and then and then they do another flashback to, like, a different riot, and I don't know if that was before or after the main riot. It's very confusing. Timeline gets a little mixed up a bit, but... I guess to add on to your point, I, I agree. Like, Aaron Sorkin is kind of going through the motions of a David Fincher type. But, like, the main difference for me, just at a level that I can't really describe very, very well, is the social network left a hell of an impression on me. Like, I remember a lot of scenes from that movie, and I haven't even seen it in years. And I remember, like it had some really impactful shots, not just impactful performances. And in this one, like, I'm going to remember Sasha Baron Cohen was in this movie and gave a really good performance, but I'm not going to remember very much else of this movie. Yeah, because it's, uh, 
because it's just straightforward you know like it doesn't take yeah much creative license to it and there's no it doesn't feel like there's much heart to it like there it there are some moments i i really like the ending in terms of like it felt a little out of place but there, there was a very heartfelt moment at moment at the end that i think kind of sums up the movie uh, uh it, it leaves it in a very hopeful moment even though like yeah the 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 movie in general is less than hopeful, right? I actually have some so... very major gripes with the ending, but like, oh, I do okay. think the ending is probably close to as good as it could have been. Yeah, that's fair. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I wish if it wasn't going to do stuff like that, like at least make the script a little more intriguing in terms of understanding what, like the, the main conflicts between the characters. Like I... Personally, one of my favorite moments is also, or the, one of the more interesting moments is uh, when Eddie Redmayne's character and Sasha Baron Cohen's character get in a fight about what, what, how much they are they are contributing to society in terms of their roles, mm -hmm. and and whether or not each of them is doing the right thing or not based on their actions in the, yeah. in the long short term and long term, right? Yeah, and that. Yeah, and they, that was really cool mm -hmm. because it it brought up it brought up that these characters, even though they're kind of presented to us in this, they're they're the heroes rebelling against a a, a bad government. These guys are actually very lost as to what they they sh they what they're doing and whether what they're doing is the right thing or not. And it was a big character moment for both of them because in this conversation you're talking about, like up until that point, Abby Hoffman. Sasha Baron Cohen's character has been presented to us as a good dude, but also every time he's in a scene, he's like, just, he's just like running in. No one's seen him for a couple of hours because he was off getting high with Jerry Rubin, uh, with Jeremy Strong's character, Jerry Rubin uh, for like six hours. Or, you know, he came in after, I don't know, doing stand up or something. Basically he's constantly presented to us as this irresponsible dude. Meanwhile, Eddie Redmayne's character, Tom Hayden, is constantly presented to us as a very responsible guy, but also he like just doesn't get along with everyone else because you know he almost seems kind of like he shouldn't be there. He's so different to everyone else. And then in this, in this, uh, in their argument, you end up we end up finding out that like neither of them are stupid and neither of them is like against this entire movement. They all all of their actions have a very specific purpose. And they always are working towards that purpose and they know what the hell they're doing. They just, like you said, they're kind of lost in that nothing they're ever doing makes any difference, whether it does or not. Yeah. And like that, that kind of brings into question the whole motivation of, of everything. Right. But mm -hmm. they, that's not really something they decide to, to delve into. Cause that, I think that argument happens like two thirds of the way into the movie. It's pretty near the more. end of the trial. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, like you, you have this really cool conflict that doesn't really lead anywhere, except for like, mm -hmm. I think it wraps up nicely in terms of, I guess, we'll, I guess you would call it the climax at the end. Yeah. Where, uh, do we care about spoilers? Can we get into Because I know you want to talk at about the, that. At this story. point, at this point, it doesn't matter. Like, here's your spoiler warning if, if you have, if you're still with us. Yeah, so at the end of the movie, Eddie Redmayne's character, the judge, the judge is about to judge them or sentence them, <laughs> judge, and then he he he's basically lecturing Eddie Redmayne's character and saying like you you of all of these people seem like the only person that could ever contribute to society in a meaningful way. Uh, if you make your closing statements quick and respectful, I will be lenient in my judging, right? And then Eddie Redmayne's character, instead of giving a uh, a closing statement, decides to list off uh, the five thousand names of the people that that died. I think it was that that week in Vietnam. No, it Maybe was since month. the trial had begun. Oh, okay, that makes yeah. I was like five thousand a week. That's crazy. So that that's like that, that. I guess that was to me. It felt like the climactic moment. But then it's it's bringing in a conflict that again was introduced relatively late in the movie i guess also no, that, there was that that scene where he gets up for the judge right yeah uh, there was actually yes um but that so the the five thousand names was introduced very early on because alex sharp's character rennie davis 
is um, every day he'll watch the news and write down the names of the people that died in Vietnam that day. So like, and, and they show one or two scenes where he's just doing that and a couple of scenes where he explains what he's doing. So like, that is something that's set up. Yeah, I guess it wasn't given much focus. Maybe. Yeah, it, was it, nice it didn't touch. come out of nowhere. But anyway, yeah. And that's sort of where he wins back. <laughs> that's kind of where he wins back the other defendants because um, that that negates that moment earlier where he stands up for the judge after the judge has done some incredibly racist nonsense with Bobby Seal, who I'm going to talk about before we end this podcast. Sure, yeah. So yeah, I, I, I if anything, I wish we brought... We, we had more conversations between the the defendants mm-hmm. on what what their purpose was, uh, what they what they hope to do with their lives and like and the protests in general, um, whether they're doing the right thing or not. Like that, that would have been a lot cooler because essentially the plot, when you when you really look at it, technically comes down to these guys are consistently getting fucked over by the judge. Over yes. and over and over again, and the movie just kind of ends, right? Yeah, uh, that's essentially the plot, and like they make it, they make it very interesting, relative to what that plot obviously entails, which is not very much. But it it's not really satisfying a satisfying viewing experience because I'm not really learning anything about these characters. It feels a little stereotypical, and like I. I, again, I understand that this is based on real events. So, like, this might have just been like to accurately reflect what the judge was like at the time, but it doesn't make for a good movie viewing experience. And I think you could have had both things. We didn't need, mm-hmm. we can easily understand like the judge was a dick without having it presented to us throughout the movie. We had a lot of space for other stuff because it's already a long movie. It's like a two, two hour and 10 minute movie, I want to say. So, there's. Uh- about that yeah it's not like they were like cramping for time or anything they could have cut some of the trial stuff and added more character stuff and even Uh, like potentially cut out some of the flashbacks which i don't entirely think were necessary because they kind of just show us what already happened you know Mm -hmm. um yeah sorry it's it's literally exactly two hours and ten minutes oh okay cool hey i still got it um yeah what did what what did you want to say about uh, the the character I can't remember his name or the actor. Uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. But just because we were talking about the ending, oh, sure. I kind of the ending worked for me, like mostly. Like I I thought the events of the ending were good. I mean, the events of the ending are based on real life, so I don't know that that particular part matters. But like the ending fell really flat for me because it was such a feel good moment. And then it like ends on a freeze frame and they tell the events of what happened to everyone afterwards. And it, and it had like very stereotypical nineties law music or like law legal drama music. And I just felt that like up until that point, not necessarily up until that point, there's a lot of good in this movie. And then the very ending of it to me cemented this as just another legal drama. And it doesn't matter how important the events are. Like, I don't know. Everyone's going to have their own interpretation of how important the events of the Chicago 7 are. But as far as I'm concerned, like, regardless of how important these events are, this movie talking about them is just another movie talking about, like, a trial. And no matter how good it is, I kind of don't really care because it's just another one of those. And I thought it was... I thought that basically the ending... Like, I already had some issues with this movie. I think this movie is overly idealistic and preachy. Um, But, like, the ending of this movie kind of ruined a lot of what it still had going for it for me. Because I felt like it was so cliched. And, like, I mean, I've seen a... I saw a better legal drama with... I've seen better legal dramas, like, within the last two years. So I kind of wonder to me this to me it's like why would I care about this movie if it's just another one which is maybe extremely harsh on this movie but like I really hated the I really hate overly cliched endings and I think there is a way to I, I think there's ways to not do that 
that's fair i again i i think we, we talked a bit about this earlier but the problem with a lot of these uh bio picks and not really not bio but like based on true oh, yeah. stories is that the, the the ending is very often kind of open-ended because the movie doesn't really depend on a a certain narrative structure to carry it out right which is why like this movie just kind of ends because it's not really following any path that would help that the climax i guess really feel meaningful and for the characters to like like the character arcs are concluded the plots over because i guess that's not really it's just it's a lot harder because you you're not really going to get an accurate telling of the story if you do that I don't really know exactly what about it I find better. But last year, a movie came out called Dark Waters. And in general, I just think that movie's better. It's a movie starring Mark Ruffalo about um, the case against... Um, gosh, I can't remember what it's called. Uh, the people that make Teflon. I'm going to look this up really quick. Um, but anyway, it's a legal drama starring Mark Ruffalo. And the way it ends is I think it ends on like a really crushing defeat for him. But, oh, it ends on, it, it ends, it ends before they even get to the courtroom, I think. Because it, he's trying to do a class action lawsuit against chemical company DuPont. And it ends by his class action lawsuit basically being thrown out. So he turns it into like 5,000 individual lawsuits. Um, but it, it ends pretty much on his case being completely thrown out. And then you get that little hopeful moment as an epilogue afterwards where he's in court for the rest of his life, essentially, doing this. So it's sort of, it hits different because it's still, it's still optimistic about his chances, I guess. But it's like also kind of filled with despair. But the thing is that the, the happy epilogue ending legal drama nonsense comes after the actual ending of the movie, which... I don't know why that's per that in particular is more effective. That might just have something to do with the movie. Um, but I just found that infinitely better than this one or than the ending of this one. That's fair. I, what I've been thinking is like, I think the biggest thing is that there's very, there's a, there's no real human element in this. Um, mm -hmm. I, okay, God, I keep doing this. I'm sorry, but the social network, God is no by I all love, means i love that movie because they they took a story of because i believe the book uh it's based on accidental billionaires right which is a mm -hmm. book on how uh facebook was founded but what what sorkin and fincher did was they they took that and they looked for a, the the human element of it which is you have two best friends whose friendship is driven apart by by greed, by greed and like betrayal and um, and misunderstanding, right? And it's kind of like a tragedy in that sense. Mm -hmm. And that works so much better because because if you follow like if if it's a movie on the founding of Facebook, where do you, there's no real natural way to end that in terms of like Facebook's still a thing. It it, yeah. it hasn't ended. It's still growing. You could I bet you could make another like you could make many movies in a similar vein of what Facebook has been doing since then, right? But what they did was they they found that story and then they framed the 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 creation of Facebook as really just kind of a backdrop and a distraction to to uh to tell the, the real story of their friendship, right? And like yeah. this is what a lot of like amazing movies have done. It's like 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 uh it really sticks out to me. I, I always remember George Lucas I've heard him saying that Star Wars was is a. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's a it's a space fantasy movie, right? But at but its, its core, story about, it's a movie about sorry. family, right? Yeah. Um, and that that's the thing is like the social network. The climax of that movie is when their friendship is severed completely, right? And hmm. I, that's such an amazing scene because of what it's the scene where uh, Andrew Garfield's character Eduardo Saverin realizes that. Uh, Mark stabbed him in the back completely, right? In a way that is like the worst thing you could do to a friend. And he didn't even do it to his face, right? And then they have the big show off, and then and and then they, and then he leaves. And that's that works. That's a natural ending point for the movie because that's where their friendships end. 
friendship ends, right? And that's not coming back. So it's a great way that that's a natural conclusion and climax to that story. Well, I think you've hit the nail on the head right there. And that's part of why. So when you watch this movie, you always you had to compare it to the social network. When I watched this movie, I compared it a lot to Dark Waters, even though Dark Waters, it does not involve any of the same people. But Dark Waters also has that human element because the, the, the story of Dark Waters, like I said, very little of it actually even takes place in a courtroom. It's about Mark Ruffalo's, Mark Ruffalo's character, uh, Robert Billet, his career as a lawyer and like what he wants to do as a lawyer. And when that movie ends, his character arc has been that he's gone from a corporate lawyer basically dealing in corporate law to a guy who's fighting DuPont, one of the biggest chemical corporations in the world, on behalf of an entire farming village, essentially. Yeah, so, like, yeah. it actually is not quite as interesting a story as um, The Social Network, but, like, it also focuses more on that human element than on the events of the trial, because that's, that's not what's important to the story. And I don't know exactly how you would have made The Trial of the Chicago 7 into a movie with a similar amount of focus on the human element, but you definitely could have, and it would have made it more interesting. Exactly, yeah. Or else, like, that's the thing, is we, we don't really have anything, any emotional thing to latch onto, because it's, it's just not, this, this experience of a trial isn't really relatable to us as people, right? What's relatable yeah. is, is kind of like, the separate uh like because like you you mentioned uh what's his name's character david david doe david dellinger that's john david carol Lynch's dellinger. character yeah like the one of the most memorable moments of the movie is when you have this really nice guy who's kind of drawn to his limits and does something that he and hurts someone which is like something he would have never done before and that he immediately regrets right because mm -hmm. he's being drawn to his limits and that's something that we can all relate to as people and we see that specifically elevated in him so yeah it's it's just i wish we could have gone more of these human moments instead of just mostly mostly the movie is just kind of a retelling of of what has happened and uh and and yeah you're it is a little preachy in terms of uh, uh taking sides and stuff so uh yeah i i think sorry Oh, I was just going to say, I, I, I guess that's the, just the inherent problem with the movie. Um, I think so. I think that uh, regardless of our thoughts, I think this movie is going to get awards attention. I don't know that it's going to win anything, sure. but I do think it's going to get nominated in a few places. Do you agree? Yeah. Like, like, OK, like despite everything I've said, I, I think it's a very solid movie. It's a good movie. Maybe not great, but it's uh it's well made and it's aaron sorkin so we're probably looking at a screenwriting nom somewhere i doubt a directing nom though i don't I see that really happening. really doubt directing but i think this movie has some very very good acting performances particularly i am hopeful that this is sasha baron cohen's nomination for best actor yeah potentially uh, and depending on what what the year looks like, I could definitely see um, Eddie Redmayne's character. I wouldn't say on a regular year, but I think due to his past, his relationship with the Academy and that he's been nominated a few times before, I could see potentially him being nominated as well. I could see current, it. Uh, standards of what's happening. I would personally say I thought he gave a really, really subpar performance, especially for Eddie Redmayne. Mm. But, like, I guess all things considered, it wasn't horrible, horrible. Like, it's if subpar for Eddie Redmayne is still great for, like, probably half of the actors that are in this. But regardless, like, I did not, I thought his performance was not good. And yeah. this year, maybe he gets in, but on a normal year, I definitely don't see it. Yeah. Um, the other performance I want to talk about, though, is... I will be quite upset if I don't see supporting actor for Yaya Abdul-Mateen II as Bobby Seale. For sure, yeah. Um, I was about to say, he, he wasn't in the movie actually that long, but he had a very, very powerful performance. 
I'd say he was in it for probably the first hour. Maybe not quite that, but it felt like he was in about half of the movie. And like, so Bobby Seale, he's, uh, for context, he's the chairman of the Black Panther Party. And he is one of the defendants for apparently helping to start these riots, despite the fact that on the night of the riot, he was in Chicago for four hours before he was arrested uh, on charges of starting these riots, which like he has literally nothing to do with this court case and just gets drawn in. Uh, like he has nothing to do with any of the other defendants and just gets drawn in for no reason uh, without a lawyer to just be made an example of by the judge. And um, the scenes with Bobby Seale, uh, his character, are not only some of the strongest in the movie, but they're also the strongest scenes for, uh, who's his name? Frank Langella's Judge Julius Hoffman. Because, like, Julius Hoffman is, at the very least in this movie, portrayed as an extremely racist, biased judge who, like, just gets off on yelling at the leader of the Black Panther Party for stuff that he can't control. The guy keeps trying to represent himself, not allowed keeps standing up in court because he's literally not given a chance to talk and he just gets like shot back down again. And it's, I think those scenes are like really powerful performances from both of those guys. Yeah. I, I, I honestly, I, I feel really bad. I, I did forget to talk about the, the guy that played the judge. Sorry. What's his Frank Langella. Frank Angela. He was, he was actually really good. Oh, he was um, incredible. And I think it's easy to forget how good he did just purely because I think he really sunk into his role in that I actually would have a really hard time separating the actor from the performance. Uh, the, he even was, though I know him as an actor already, like I've seen him before. I think that he might've been the only performance in this movie, except for maybe Sasha Baron Cohen, where I'm like, that's the character, not the actor. Yeah. Uh, and even so... in Sasha Baron Cohen, it wasn't like, I, I think Frank Langella like nailed it harder than he did too. For sure. Yeah, I, I actually like, I, I actually feel kind of bad. I completely forgot about him. But honestly, I, if I had to pick, have a pick for best performance, I'd definitely say it was him. Um, in terms of he, I, I'd say he really had, he had great screen presence, um, like charismatic for his role, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, like obviously he was kind of he was kind of almost overtly like evil in a way oh way he was he like was a mustache twirling villain yeah so it's a little cliche but he he really brings you into it and you, you it's he's kind of like you, you love to hate him if that makes sense he's a yeah. great villain i guess so i definitely see like i would hope both him and yaya abdul Madin mateen have chances at best supporting for sure yeah i I'd really hope for that. Um, and I, I don't, I don't know if I necessarily see either of them winning just because I think, I feel like that the role of the judge is understated, if that makes sense. For the I suppose. Movie. Yeah. Cause he's surprising. He He's really low here on the, the list of supporting actors. Right. I guess uh, so. Yeah. Movie. I don't know how relevant that is, but he's well, just above Michael Keaton who is, in the movie for two minutes, whereas this guy, if anything, probably had the most lines so, and second most screen time, I want to say. I'm also looking at the Wikipedia article. I don't think that the Wikipedia list of billing is the most um, is the most accurate because it lists them speci- it lists them in it, it lists them in two different groups. Like it lists the seven defendants. And it lists them in some order that is also not the top billing order. And then it lists other roles. So I don't yeah. know that Wikipedia is the best metric here. Okay, that's fair. So, but also, I would say that um, I'm not surprised you forgot to talk about The Judge. Because I think that's a big problem that this movie has. And I think this is probably going to be the last problem of this movie that I talk about. Um this movie had a lot to do for the people that it considered the heroes. Like even Jeremy Strong, Jerry Rubin is the name of the character. He didn't, he wasn't really that big in the, in the context of the movie, but he had way more to do than say Joseph Gordon-Levitt because Joseph Gordon-Levitt was not considered one of this movie's heroes. 
but Jeremy Strong was. And I think that this movie had, it. that's where it shows its bias. It has a lot to do for the people it thinks are the heroes and the people that it didn't like, the villains of the movie, are portrayed, for one thing, a lot less three-dimensionally. Like the judge, as great an act uh, performance as Frank Langella does, uh, he's a very, like, just straight-up evil character. But also, like, everyone that's a villain in this movie doesn't have that much to do except for Frank Langella. Because, like, other people we forgot to talk about... We never talked. We didn't talk that much about Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Levitt. We never even touched on J.C. McKenzie, and like, uh, we didn't talk about Caitlin Fitzgerald, Max Adler, C.J. Wilson. They're all in this movie, but you probably don't even remember who they are because this movie didn't give them anything to do because they're just vi- they're just the villains in this movie. And I think that that's that's how why this movie comes off to me as so transparently biased. But also, it's just like. I think that this movie would have been more effective by giving literally any of those people a little more to do. I think the worst offender of it is J.C. McKenzie, who is uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's partner in this movie and barely even gets a line of speaking time. That's a good point. I That's unfortunate because a lot of these guys are great actors too, right? Yeah. So it's it's kind of a waste and it's that's a little kind of lazy screenwriting i guess in terms of efficiency yeah but also if you're gonna focus on the trial like at least make the the players in it a little more interesting to observe in terms of their motivations and stuff i would say this movie did have like 10 main characters so i get that not everybody is gonna get screen is gonna get a lot to do but like there were several of the seven defendants who basically didn't matter. And I mean, that's horrible to say, but in this movie, they basically didn't have very much to do anyway. So I feel like you could have maybe cut down on one or two other uh, on, again, I hate to say this, maybe you could cut down on Jeremy Strong's role and give a little bit to Joseph Gordon-Levitt, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, I agree. Anyway. Um, do you have anything else you got to say about this movie? Uh, no, I'd say that's pretty much it. Um, I think it's it's uh, it's a solid movie. I I think I I I shit on it a lot more than like it really deserves. Uh, I I think that's just I'm a little disappointed in terms of like because I, I I think Aaron Sorkin's like a great A, uh, a screenwriter, right? So I expect mm-hmm. I think I unfairly expect a lot more from him, but on the whole like to be honest it's considering the subject matter and the way it portrayed the film i was i was i was interested from front to back if that makes sense yeah like um because it it is a very interesting story in terms of like what happened right Mm -hmm. Uh, even though like i think he had a lot of room to improve the story and make it more gripping uh it's it's already a very solid script and a very solid movie and i guess a lot of my judgment is i wish i wish i feel like it could have it had a lot of room to be more but mm-hmm. what we got was not necessarily bad and it it, it is definitely uh one uh, one of my favorites of the year uh pro- probably because i mean i think even in a normal year this is definitely in the upper tier of movies that mm-hmm. i would expect okay so yeah why don't you uh why don't you put a number on that bad boy Sure, I think I'd say uh, 7.5 or 8 for me. Okay. Uh, just so, solid movie, definitely better than average. And it, it was it was relatively entertaining from start to finish. So uh, I, I, can't, I can't judge it for its uh, shortcomings. I guess, like, I am also probably unduly harsh on this movie. Uh, it's not going to affect my score because I think... I mean, my score reflects what I really feel when I when I when I say that because the thing is, like, I thought this movie had great performances. It was better than average, but I was very disappointed by a lot of things. For one thing, I thought this movie felt like propaganda, which does, you know, whether that's true or not, the fact that it felt that way to me, I think, detracts from its message, which is not a bad message. I think that like this movie has a lot of stuff to say. And the stuff that it has to say 
is relevant, except that the way that it says it makes me kind of not care about it. Um, and beyond that, I thought that the directing was not good. And so I ended up, as much as I was interested from start to finish, this movie left very little impression on me. And I don't know, like, I don't know if I'm going to care about it next year, which sure, I don't care about a lot of movies next year, but like, I was hoping this movie would be one of the ones that leaves a lasting impression, I guess. So I gave it in my, uh, in my written review when I wrote, rated this, I gave it a six out of 10 and I'm going to stand by that. I'm going to stand by a six out of 10 better than average, but ultimately not great. Yeah. That's I, I don't necessarily see myself remembering too much about it in a year or two. Um, so yeah, not a very impactful movie, I guess, but Cool. Uh, what are we so, talking about next time, Jeff? Well, this is interesting. I'm going to give people a peek behind the curtain here. The next movie that we, me and Pierre, are going to be talking about is going to be Borat 2. Now, the people that have listened to this episode, if they've been listening to everything, will have already heard that. So that's really exciting. The next movie that we're going to talk about, uh, that you will got, the next movie you're going to hear us talk about is The Devil All the Time. So we will see you in the past for Borat, and we'll see you in the future for the devil all the time. Whoa, trippy. Oh, Jeff, what's the final word? Uh, the final word is depression. Don't have it.